0: All right, so again, welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and... Here at Cornerstone, what we do is we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. Especially for those who are watching or listening online, please take a second, and if you're here too and you haven't done it as well, to check in. You can use the check-in card that's in your growth guide, or you can go online to cornerstonenh.org/here. Or the easiest way is to just download our app, and when you open up the app, you'll see the check-in button right at the start. That's just one of the ways that we facilitate communication here at Cornerstone, and it's a way for you to submit prayer requests. And if you've submitted a prayer request and you've got an answered prayer, we would love to be able to hear that and share that as well. So please use that check-in feature. We are finishing up the book of Titus, our series called Unfinished Business. We called it that because the book of Titus is all about the Apostle Paul writing to his cohort in ministry, Titus, about the unfinished business that he was supposed to take care of. In Titus 1.5, it says, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there. And I've given you over the last several weeks, five words that sum up the entire book of Titus. So if you know this and somebody asks you on the street, what is the book of Titus about? You will be able to say, well, that's making sure that our deeds line up with our creed so that we have people, feel free to join in, qualified to lead and our reputation won't impede as we meet urgent needs. So deeds, creed, lead, impede, and needs are the five words that sum up the book of Titus. And now you have the message of the book of Titus. Under the idea of impeding, at the end of the book, the apostle Paul gives Titus three different roadblocks to ministry and the spread of the gospel. And that's how we've been finishing up this series is looking at these roadblocks to avoid. So a big part of the book has to do with number one, not destroying your credibility with bad behavior. So we spent a couple of weeks talking about how Uh, One of the things that people do that impede the work of the gospel in our lives, their lives, and in our world today is by destroying your credibility with bad behavior. Last week, we talked about not getting derailed by fruitless debates and made up rules, legalism. And today we're going to complete this trifecta, this hat trick of roadblocks to avoid by talking about not tolerating division or divisive people. The last Roadblock to avoid. So today's message is about being unified, and that is the title of today's message Unified. And the question that we're asking is this How do we handle differences without causing? Division. How do we handle differences without causing division? Because anytime you get more than one person in a room, you're going to find something that they don't necessarily agree on. And that happens among believers and in churches as well. And the problem becomes that these issues become so big and so divisive that it separates people, breaks relationships and splits churches, and we don't want that. So we're going to have differences, so how do we handle those differences without causing division? So today, what are we talking about? We are talking about unity. And the bottom line, the prescription that the Apostle Paul gives to Titus so that he can preserve and protect the unity of this fledgling church on the island of Crete is this. Don't let the one get the whole church undone. Don't let the one get the whole church undone. So as we talk about unity, I'm going to walk you through, number one, how do we have unity? We have unity. What, what's the source of our unity? We have unity in God's Holy Spirit. And then how do we maintain that unity that we have in the Spirit? We maintain unity by committing to the gospel essentials. And I'm going to walk you through what I think are those gospel essentials. And then lastly, how do we protect the unity? We protect the unity by rejecting division. And the practical next step that I'm going to give you, if you look at our big next steps, it's basically saying yes to Jesus. We talked about how when you start your journey, you are saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the process of following Jesus is offering to Jesus that unconditional yes on a daily basis. And as part of that, you are going to say yes to the unity of the body that he died to create, that he gave us his Holy Spirit to establish. And I'm going to ask you to audit your essentials. And this will make sense as we get to that part of the message, because I'm going to talk about what the essentials of the gospel are The things that we have to maintain unity about and then ask you to audit your essentials and make sure that your essentials, your non-negotiables are the non-negotiables and essentials that are laid out in the scripture so that we don't cause unnecessary (laughs) division. So I'm going to read the passage today because it's a relatively short one. Again, we're in towards the end of the book of Titus in Titus chapter three, verses eight to eleven. If you want to follow along, I'm reading the New Living Translation, and this is what it says. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning, after that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have gifted us with a great gift, which is the unity of the body of Christ. Purchased by the blood of Christ on the cross, established in us by our fellowship in the Holy Spirit. It's our desire as we come together today to protect, to guard, to treasure that unity of the body that you have given us. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage today, that you would give us insight, that you would give us wisdom that each of us would know exactly what we need to do with what we hear today and show us how to practically, day by day, live out what you would have us to do with what we hear today. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your presence here among us. I thank you for every person who is here watching and listening online. I don't believe that anyone is here by accident that you have something to say to every one. So give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So bottom line, don't let the one get the whole church undone. So what is the basis of our unity? We have unity in the Holy spirit in the church that i was growing up on growing up in which was a great church with great teaching i whether it was explicitly said or not picked up the idea that i could have unity with other brothers and sisters in christ to the degree to which we agreed upon everything so just like most churches we had a statement of faith And the degree to which the other believers, the other churches lined up with those things that we believed, that was the degree to which we could have unity or fellowship with other believers and other churches. Now, what that means is that our unity was based on thinking the same exact things about everything. Pretty much. Now, you're laughing because you realize the fault in that, that we are just simply not going to agree with everyone about everything. So, if that's the case, then do we need to separate from our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't agree with us about everything? everything or to what degree do we need to draw a line, build a wall. So then years later uh, towards the beginning of cornerstone. And some of you will have heard this story before. I was asked to do a meditation for a area wide prayer meeting. And my theme was the unity of the body of Christ. So I started looking at scriptures about the unity of the body. And I came across this passage, this verse in Ephesians chapter four, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, when I read that, I thought that was very interesting Because it does not mention anything specifically about doctrine. It says that every effort to keep the unity of the statement of faith, keep the unity of your denomination, keep. No, it doesn't say anything like that. It says, keep the unity of the spirit. The spirit is God's Holy Spirit is the source of. Of our unity in Christ. And if you want, this is the way that I thought about it at the time, and it's been a helpful understanding. If you think about your natural family, the people that you are related to, you are related to them by blood, right? So it's because you have the same blood flowing through your veins that you're related to your family. Now, you might not necessarily agree with everybody in your family. You might not even get along with anybody in your family. If the, if the holidays are better known around your circles as the holler days, then maybe you don't get along with your family, but they are still your family. Why? Because you have the same blood through flowing through your veins. What makes you a brother or sister with somebody else in the body of Christ? It's because you share in the Holy Spirit. God has made you a part of his family by giving you his Holy Spirit to indwell within you. And therefore, everybody who has the Holy Spirit is your brother and sister in Christ. And it's your sharing in your fellowship in the body, the Holy Spirit of Christ, that makes you unified, makes you a part of the one body of Christ. Now, this is not to say that doctrine is not important. We'll get back to that in a second but the thing that unifies you with your other brothers and sisters in Christ is your fellowship in, your sharing in the one Holy Spirit. So unity among the body of Christ is an established fact. It's not something that we have to create. It's something that we keep or protect. It's a gift that has been given to you. And so we treat it as the treasure that it is and we protect the unity of the body. And how do we do that? Through the bond of peace. We keep the peace. So unity is a gift that we protect. It's not something that we have to create. So going on, we don't let the one get the whole church undone. What's the, what's the um, basis of our unity? We share in the Holy Spirit. So how do we maintain or protect the unity of the body? We maintain unity by committing to the gospel essentials. And here's where we define what those essentials are. I had heard this quote before. It's been attributed to a variety of different people. So I'm just going to put various because we don't know who said it, but it's ancient and that the original version is in Latin. I don't know Latin, but I know enough to come up with my own translation. So here is my translation of this, of this saying in essential things, unity in debatable things, liberty In all things, love. In essential things, unity. In the debatable things, liberty. In all things, love. Now, what does that mean? There are certain things that are essentials. They are non-negotiables. These are things that we have to have unity in. They're very limited, but they're very important as well. There are many things that are non-essentials, that are debatable, that people who have the Holy Spirit, who follow Jesus, love Jesus wholeheartedly, are going to disagree about. And in those things, things of conviction or conscience, we can have liberty. Because they're not the essentials. You should follow your conscience. You should do what you feel is and would think is right to violate your conscience is never safe nor uh, advisable, but we're going to have liberty in those things. I'm not going to take my issue of conscience and say you ought to or you have to. That's not how that works. And in all things love, Jesus said the defining characteristic of his followers would be their love for one another. So in all things, we have charity or love. So what are those essentials? What are the things that are non-negotiables, the things that we would have to separate from someone and define the line between Orthodox Christianity and something that is not Christianity? Well, we unite the followers of Jesus worldwide throughout history have united around Jesus' divinity. One of the number one signs that you are dealing with a Christian cult is when they like Jesus, but they define Jesus down and get rid of his divinity. The orthodox position throughout history has been that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, fully divine and fully human. Remember, I said that it's the spirit that establishes our unity. So let's look at how this is a passage where we see the spirit and this idea of Jesus as God. I want you to know this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He's talking in this section about spiritual gifts and trying to help them be discerning in their exercise of these spiritual gifts. And so he says, you know, it it should be kind of common knowledge that if someone is cursing Jesus, that is not prompted by God's Holy Spirit. And if someone is accepting and proclaiming Jesus is Lord, then, you know, people just don't do that automatically or of their own. That is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the Jesus is Lord statement is much more radical to the original hearers than it would be to us. Because the word Lord is the the way that the personal name of God was translated in the Old Testament. So to say Jesus is Lord is to say Jesus is God, is to say that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, the God of the people of Israel, and that Jesus is his Messiah and his equal within the Godhead. So that is an example. Now let's look at an example from Titus. This is a, an amazing statement for this time and place at the, in verse 13 of chapter two, Paul says, we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ Will be revealed. Every once in a while, you'll encounter somebody, and usually they're a part of a Christian cult that, that that rejects the divinity of Jesus, saying, "Oh, Jesus didn't claim to be God, and the people who wrote the Bible they didn't really think that that Jesus was God." Wrong, because here's just one of many examples where our great God is equated with Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. They're combining His identity. As fully God and fully human and what he did, he saved us in one statement, both referring to Jesus Christ. So we unite around the divinity of Christ. And if someone rejects the divinity of Christ, they are rejecting Christian faith and Christian fellowship. That's how it works. We also unite. Here's the other the second non-negotiable around salvation through Jesus alone. And we touched on this last week when we were talking about legalism because legalism is the idea that you can somehow earn your way in, work your way into the family of God and the people of God by your own efforts and activities. But we know from orthodox Christian faith means that we are united around salvation Rescue, forgiveness, adoption into God's family, being born again, becoming a Christian, however that's described, through Jesus alone. Not what we do, D-O, but what Jesus has done, D-O-N. We saw this in Titus in this verse, chapter 3, verse 5, my favorite, definitely one of my favorite, if not my, my favorite in this whole book. He, God, saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. What is the basis of your salvation? How do we get into God's family and to God's kingdom? It's based entirely on what Jesus has done. Now, the different faith, different Christian traditions can look at this a little bit differently. But what we all agree on is that Jesus and his work on the cross is and was absolutely necessary for our salvation, our rescue, our redemption. Um, Jesus, now let's tie it to the Holy Spirit, since we were talking about the Holy Spirit as the basis of our unity. Jesus, when he was teaching about the Holy Spirit's Advent, the Holy Spirit's coming, which we celebrate at Pentecost, Uh, He said, here's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And among those things that he mentioned were these. He, the Holy Spirit, will show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. This is John 16, 9 and 10 in the message translation. So what's he saying there? That no matter what your sins are, none of them can prevent you from entering into the kingdom of God except A refusal to believe in Jesus, God's provision for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Now, unless you accept Jesus, you bear the weight and the guilt of all of your sins. But when you receive Jesus, When you believe in him, put your trust in him, put your faith in him, then all of those sins are put behind you and you are welcomed into the kingdom of God. How do we get into the kingdom of God? Only through Jesus. And this is one of the ways of saying that it's their refusal to believe in me that is their basic sin. And then he goes on to say that righteousness This is what else the Holy Spirit will convince people of that righteousness comes from above where I am with the father. Notice the words that I highlighted. Where does righteousness come from? It comes from Jesus. You don't look within to find righteousness. You look above, and righteousness is gifted to you. He puts his Holy Spirit in you, transforms you, and you begin to walk in righteousness. So we're united around the divinity of Christ. We're united around salvation through Christ alone, and we are united around salvation from sin. One of my favorite verses from Romans 6, 1 and 2 The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if grace is such a wonderful thing and it's only because of our sin that God has to extend grace, don't we want to give him more and more opportunity to extend grace to us by keeping on sinning? By no means, We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? In other words, salvation is salvation from sin. You are saved from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, and eventually you'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So if you're saying yes to salvation, that would be like you're drowning in the ocean. Somebody throws you a lifeline. You take the lifeline, and as you're being pulled up to rescue, you dive back into the water. That would make no sense at all. And that's what he's talking about there. Now, John, my son, and I were having a discussion about this on the way home, and I love the way that he put it. So I I don't know if this is an exact quote, but if you want to put John's name in your (laughs) notes, you can do that. John Foreman said this, uh, and that is that freedom from sin is how we experience salvation. And I loved that word experience. Why? It's like we get to be free from sin, What is uh, sin is the stuff that breaks our hearts, that causes pain and suffering in our lives. Why would we jump out of the rescue copter into the sea of sin again when the very reason that we're rescued, the very thing that God has rescued us from in Jesus is sin. So when we experience freedom from sin, that's what salvation is. That's what salvation is. So this is what the Apostle Paul and Titus were dealing with in Crete, was there were people that were were encouraging and and excusing sin. And he's like, no, 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 we we can't do that. We, 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 We were saved from sin. We need to be rescued from our sins. That's what salvation is. And so we don't do that. Uh, Let's tie it to the Holy Spirit since we've been doing that for each of these in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. It says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. If God places His Holy Spirit in you, it's his Holy Spirit. Holy is separate, distinct from sin. So if you're diving back into the old life, doing things that you know are wrong, doing things that are, you know grieve God's Holy Spirit, that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what you were saved for or from. That's not what we do. So if anyone encourages that or excuses that or says, yeah, you're free and forgiven, so do whatever you want, sin all you like let grace abound we separate from, the, from them that's not how it works because how it works was described in the introduction to Titus when Paul describing his apostleship said I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ to further their knowledge of the truth what's he talking about he's talking about the gospel their knowledge of the truth what does the gospel lead to what does the knowledge of the truth lead to it leads to godliness that's how this works and if somebody says something other than that, they're wrong. They're not. They've separated themselves from Christian faith, and it's safe to separate from them as well. So we don't let the one get the whole church undone. We are unified by the Holy Spirit. We maintain the unity of that spirit by clinging to those essentials of the gospel, and we protect the unity by rejecting division. So let's go through this process. So we, we said there are three roadblocks. These are lined out in in the last several verses, the verses that I read earlier. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. We don't destroy our credibility with bad behavior. Then he goes on in the next verse, and I put it all in one paragraph in the growth guide. So you would see how it's all tied together. Don't get involved in foolish discussions. These things are useless and a waste of time. Remember, he said focusing on this teaching, the gospel teaching, because that's beneficial. That's worthwhile. He says this other stuff, these foolish discussions, these legalistic demands, these are things that are useless and a waste of time. So don't get derailed by foolish discussions and man made rules. And then, he says, don't tolerate division or divisiveness. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. Now, it's about time for us to do a message on how we reconcile within the body of Christ again. But and uh, notice again, that the purpose of this is not to divide from people. It's to try to restore people to make sure that we don't have to divide from them. So he's saying, give them a warning. Let them know. This is not, this is not how this goes. This is not the gospel. We believe in Jesus divinity. We believe that salvation is through Jesus alone. We, and Jesus does not promote sin. So if you fall into any of those categories, you need to be warned. That's not how this works. And to give them a second warning. Notice the grace here. It's not one and done. It's give them a second warning. And if they still persist in error and promoting division and divisiveness among you, then you have to act. Have nothing more to do with them. But notice notice the heart. And notice how he describes it in the next verse where he says, Because it's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God, by persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off. What are you doing? Are you, are you rejecting that person? Are you condemning that person? No, they have walked away from the faith. They, have, they are self-condemned. They are cutting themselves off from the gospel. And you are just recognizing that and putting a barrier around that so that it doesn't spread. Earlier in the gospel, uh, in, the, in the book of Titus, T- uh, Titus is told by the apostle Paul, uh, you need these kind of leaders that know what they're talking about, that have the right character, that can teach because they're rebellious people who are causing divisions and splitting up families even by their divisiveness. What's he saying there? He's saying, if you let this go unchecked, it won't just be one person who is causing division, one person who has cut themselves off from the gospel. It will spread like a cancer to everyone in the church, and then you're going to have a church split. So it's much better to just recognize they've separated themselves from the gospel, so it's safe and actually safe a safeguard to separate from them. Don't let that cancerous teaching spread because then you won't be dealing with one divisive person. You'll be dealing with divisiveness in the church as a whole. So we've talked about unity. We said that's why you don't let the one get the whole church undone. You deal with that. You deal with it with grace. You warn, you warn again, but then you're done because they've shown they're They're not teachable. They're not, they're not willing to be corrected. So you don't let that one get the whole church undone. So what does that mean for us practically? How can we take what we've heard today and apply it in our day-to-day interactions with one another? You audit your essentials. When I listed off those essentials, the divinity of Jesus, salvation through Jesus alone, and not promoting or excusing sin, maybe there's something that you've been believing that is important to you, and it may be an important issue, but it's not an essential. You've, you've elevated it, though, to a non-negotiable. So what's an actionable first step that you can do? Don't elevate a personal preference or conviction to a non-negotiable. Don't elevate a personal preference or conviction, conviction to a non-negotiable. I hope that you have specific convictions. I hope that you know, everybody's gonna have their own personal preferences. But when it comes to faith, there are very few non-negotiables and we don't split from, we don't talk bad about our brothers and sisters who have different preferences or convictions. We like to think sometimes that what we like is an issue of right and wrong, but it's not. Usually it's not. It's just our personal preference. It's what we grew up with. It's what we like better. That's not a non negotiable. So we don't divide. You will not hear me talk bad about any other church unless they violate one of those essentials. And because they've cut themselves off if they reject Jesus and his salvation and his salvation from sin. But if they're not. Promoting sin, they believe in the divinity of Jesus, they recognize that salvation is only through Jesus, that's a great church. Bottom line. They might have a different style, they might have a slightly different, or very different statement of faith, but if we agree upon those essentials, that's a great church. And that's, that's the perspective that we have to take. Okay? Second actionable next step. Remember how we said that you don't grieve the Holy Spirit, that Jesus does not promote sin, he saves us from sin, I would suggest you need to do whatever. That's the fill in the blank. Whatever you need to do to stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, the Holy Spirit is active in your life right now, and you're convicted because you know there's something that you are doing that is grieving God's Holy Spirit, something that you are actively participating in, jumping into, but you are supposed to be rescued out of it. It's time to stop promoting, excusing, justifying that sin and do whatever you need to do. Sometimes it might mean breaking a relationship. It might be changing jobs. It might be a dramatic step. But I've taken some of those steps before, and I can tell you it's absolutely worth it to do whatever you need to do to stop grieving God's Holy Spirit. You will be so free You'll be so thankful and you'll be free of that guilt and condemnation that you feel because you keep jumping back in. And then lastly, the overarching is to say yes to Jesus. Now, for some of you, this might be a first-time thing. You thought you had to earn or work or wiggle your way into God's kingdom, and you're hearing now for the first time that God's favor, his fellowship his adoption into the family of God is a gift that you receive based on what Jesus has done. So if you're saying yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, Savior, he's forgiven you of your sins. Lord, you're going to, he gets to call the shots, he's the boss. You're going to follow him from this point on. If you're doing that for the first time, well, I would love to know that. If you're using a checking card, circle the say yes twice. And that'll that'll point that out to me. If you're doing it online or in the check on check in, there's a little check box that you can say. We would love to be able to celebrate that with you, and resource you for your new life in Christ. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, and this is just your way of indicating, "Yep, I'm signing up again. I'm writing that blank text, blank check to Jesus again." And you're going to circle that, say yes. That's just your step of saying this is me, I'm, I'm in, I'm gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep following Jesus, you can do that. And I would love to be able to celebrate that with you as well. Another way, the biblical prescription way that we do this is by celebrating communion. So let's do that right now. What we do when we celebrate communion is we are reminded of the basis of our salvation, that Jesus Remember, my shorthand for the gospel is who Jesus is, what he did and what it means for us. That follows with the essentials. Who is Jesus? He is the divine, fully divine and fully human son of God. As a result, he lived a perfect life. What did he do? He rescued us from his from our sin by dying on the cross for our forgiveness and salvation. What does that mean for us? It means that we are rescued from our sins, that we are no longer. Sorry, I just had a little mm, pain in my ankle. Uh, We are no longer under the power of sin. We are no longer under the penalty of sin and eventually we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. That's what it means for us. And when we celebrate communion, we're reminded that all of that is wrapped up in Jesus and the gospel. So if you would, prepare the bread. Go ahead and pull the bread out. And Jesus, when he was preparing to go to the cross, gathered his disciples, and he said, this bread is my body which is broken for you. What's he doing? He's, put, he's putting the focus, you, you, you deserve punishment, but I'm going to take that punishment in my own body on your behalf. And then he said to us, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. What does that mean? There's a new covenant. There's a new relationship with you and God. And it's based not on your performance, not on your fulfilling the law, but on the sacrifice of my body and my blood on the cross. What does blood represent? It shows that the sacrifice has been paid. So when we look at the cup, we're to be reminded That the sacrifice, the penalty for our sins has been paid on the cross by Jesus. Not based on what we do, on what he has done. And so when we do this, we do this in remembrance of him. We're reminded that our salvation is based on what Jesus did on the cross for us. And then, lastly, at the end, of your notes in the growth guide, I put this verse. What did, what did the apostle Paul warn? If people divide over these essentials, they are cutting themselves off from the body of Christ. And so we just need to recognize this and quarantine off the, the cancer before it spreads. But what did Jesus say? If you abide in me, if you receive me, if you Accept that I am fully divine and fully human. If you recognize that righteousness only comes through me, not of your own works, it comes from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. If you recognize this, if you abide, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing but with me, in me, All things are possible. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful because apart from Jesus, we would be sunk. We would be hopeless. We would have no hope of forgiveness, no hope of being in your family and a part of your kingdom. But because of Jesus, we have everything. So we thank you for that. We thank you lord for sending your son whose first advent we celebrate in this season whose sacrifice on the cross we remember at christmas and whose fulfillment of the kingdom we look forward to in the second advent the second coming lord i pray that as we've covered the essentials and what makes for unity and how we have the responsibility to protect the unity that you would show each of us how we need to respond specifically and practically to what we have heard today and then give us the courage and strength to act accordingly lord i want to pray particularly for those who recognize that they have been grieving your holy spirit they belong to you they know that they're forgiven they know they're in the family of god but there is some besetting sin that they keep jumping back into and they want to be free They want to have a clear conscience. They want to be delivered. Lord, would you especially encourage and strengthen that person that you would help them to take the steps that they need to do, whatever it means, so that they can stop grieving your Holy Spirit and experience the joy, the freedom, the peace that is theirs by right in Christ. Lord, we want to allow you to complete that unfinished business in us. Make us people whose deeds line up with our creeds. Give us leaders who are qualified to lead. Make us a people who will not unnecessarily dig ditches and create barriers, boundaries, and pits for people on the way to the gospel. And may we be a people who are constantly looking for ways to meet needs just as you did when you walked on this earth because we are your body, we are your hands and feet on the earth today. Lord, may you do this work in us. May you receive all the credit, credit, all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.